Hey, this is Victor Antonio. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. Today, I got an interesting dude. Uh, somebody reached out to me and says, you need to talk to this guy. He's all about decision-making. And I said, what? A guy who actually talks about decision-making theory, scientist himself. So please welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, Tyler Ludlow. What's happening, Tyler? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. So, Tyler, so Abby reaches out to me, and there's this quick description about a uh, decision-making scientist named Tyler Ludlow. I'm not going to go any further. Tell us about what is decision-making, who is Tyler Ludlow, and why this subject? Yeah. So, um, I mean, most people haven't heard of this, but there is a field of decision science. It's been around for several decades, um, obviously builds off of math and psychology and some other fields that have been obviously around for longer. Uh, very strong relationship to like behavioral economics, which is you know popular these days, that kind of stuff. Um, and I've been, I started into this field a little over a decade ago. Um, it has a long history of being applied at, at very large companies, which is where I started for about a decade. Um, worked for two global 500 companies um, and then just started to feel like it wasn't right that just the big guys on their big decisions had access to this stuff. Um, and so I left my corporate job and started trying to bring this to more people everywhere. So, so if we could bring this down to the, to, to the, to the average guy-gal level, when we talk about decision-making, decision-making theory, walk me through that. What does that mean and why should I even care? Right. In the most simplest terms, easiest explanation is it's just structured thinking. Um, it's just learning how to th think through a situation with a little more discipline and a little structure to it. Um, I, I mean, everybody makes decisions, right? They've made them for years. Um, people probably make a number of good decisions. They've also probably had some that weren't so good. So I always, when I approach folks, I always start from like what they have and what they're already doing well. And just saying, Hey, look, there's a system and a process here. It probably will add in a few things that you've been missing or that you don't do as regularly. Um, but it's just simple structured thinking when it comes down to it. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's, sim it's simple on the surface, chaotic below the waterline. I bet. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's right. Like I mean, it, it, the founders were a, were a dude from Harvard and a dude from Stanford. Like they know their stuff. Like it's founded on some. If you want to be a math geek, you can nerd out in the area. Mm -hmm. But man, I just want to use a couple of good tips for thinking more clearly, not freaking out when it comes to facing uncertain future and stuff like that. Then it can help in everything. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Like, where would I use this? Like, where would I use decision making process slash theory? Where would I use it? Give me like a tangible example. Maybe you can start out with something simple, average person, and then let's go into companies and how companies use it. Sir, sure. so uh, I'll give you an example that just happened just a, a couple of days ago. Um, a gentleman named Joe has gone through some of our programs, little coaching call that I had with him one on one. And as we were talking, he says, uh, you know, I have this offer from a buddy of mine who has like uh, to start a, a company together, some sort of um, partnership, joint venture type thing. And he said, and he said, oh, I never even thought about it. I should have asked you about this. So I said, well, tell me. About it. <laughs> By the way, what a friend. What a friend, Joe. <laughs> hey, Joe, if you're listening, thank you for pointing out the obvious. <laughs> Yeah, it gives me a story. Yeah, no, but it was it was really interesting. He says because he says you know I've been I've been thinking about this for a couple months now. He said if it goes well, like if I leave my it, I'd have to leave my current corporate job. He's got a great job, um, but he said if I have to leave my job, I have to leave my job to take this one. Um, it could work out, and if it did, it would you know I'd be financially better off. I'd have more flexibility, more control. Like it would be kind of across the board better. It'd be game changer. Uh, That's what they say. It'd be a game changer. Game yeah. Changer, right? yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he, but I mean, at the same time, like he really does, he's a senior leader in this company. He's got a great corporate job. He's enjoying what he's doing for the past several years and anticipates that would continue. Um, so he's not in a bad, he's not like dying to get out of there. And so he's like, and if I did and it doesn't work, he said, you know, four or five, six years down the road, he said, you know, I'd, I'd be 55. He said, I could still probably get, you know, with all of his connections in the industry that he's in and everything, so I could still get another another gig and go. Like, it wouldn't be, it'd be a, it'd be a waste of time, and, and it would certainly, you know, it'd have an impact on, on income over those 
over the next short term, but he's also, I just don't know if it's worth it or not. By the way, this is, this is a great setup, by the way. I love this setup because I think a lot of people, <laughs> we, we, we're all caught in this decision. I've, I've been in this situation several times already in my career. So I think this is a great setup, great story. So there I am. I'm sitting with so Tyler. So there you are. <laughs> and, right. And, and at like a quick pause, like the decision science behind this is like super simple and extremely common. You know, you're making me mad, Tyler. You're making me mad. Let me tell you why you're making me mad. Because you keep calling it extremely simple, and you know it's not. You know it's not. Yeah, well, okay, but go well, ahead. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. But, but you're right. It's, it's the life. It's the skin that it's showing up in that makes it difficult or complex okay. or emotional or tough, okay. right? But, like, the bare bones decision science structure behind it is actually simple. There is – because the pattern that he's in, right, is, hey, I've got these two options. I can stick with something I know, or I can go for something that's uncertain. And if I go for that uncertain thing, it could be really good, or it could be the worst case. And so my certain thing is smack dab in the middle, so which do I do? That is one of the most common decision patterns that, that, that we face. Um, but that, like the solution to it, like once, once you can apply a little decision science to it, it's really not all that complicated. So. We, I just had a discussion with him um, and I said, well, well, without relating the whole discussion, boiled down to simply saying, hey, Joe, if you take the, you know, if you continue what you're doing right now, that's his sure thing. And said, how much better than that would the, would, you know, going into taking this opportunity and going well, what would that look like? And so he describes that and I said, okay, well, how much worse would it be if, if you try the, the, the entrepreneur thing and it fails? And then I just asked him, well, what's, what's the relative difference between though? How much of a step up is that relative to how much a step down it going back? So he comes back and he said, and, and I usually do that by saying like, hey, if, if the low end was zero and the high end and the good end was 10, tell me where that sure thing is okay. in between. And so he says, I mean, we talked through what it would look like. So he's got it. He's okay. sort of just, just to put Just to put some numbers for it. Let's just put some numbers for people on this one. Yeah. So if he stays with his thing... What kind of number did he give you? Like, okay, you know. Well, so what he said was, so the way that you set it up is that you say, if it goes wrong, that's a zero. If it goes well, that's gotcha. a 10, just in relative gotcha. terms, right? And the numbers, like, we're not going to do a lot of fancy sure. math. They're just, they're good to, to help get clarity. And then I say to him, where does the sure thing land between it? You, you put it, how much better, where does it fit in between those two? And, and it's important to have talk through, like, in real terms, what those are, so you're not just pulling a number out of thin air. You're basing it off of some, some good, you know, clear thinking. Our minds are incredibly powerful tools. They, we don't need an algorithm to tell us what we do all the time. It, it can think through situations. So in, 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 in that case, before you give me those numbers, so zero, zero yeah. being worst case, 10 being best case, right? And, and so yeah. you're going to ask him a bunch of questions so he can really assess, as you just said, what that number really is. In other words. Yeah, yeah. Like before bringing up zero to 10, I just say, hey, tell me what that looks like. Why is that so much better? And he describes, you know, time with his family or income, a professional opportunity that he hasn't had yet. You know, what, why is that bad if it fails, right? And understanding those sort of like intangible real mm -hmm. terms before you start fictitiously putting right. a number on it is an important thing. It helps to research shows, it helps to de-bias our thinking and help us to be able to think clear. To what, what's so important about what you just said, it's a subtlety, but it's important. It's the sequence you just used which is to have the conversation yeah. first and then ask, I'll just say, the, the Likert scale number, right, of 0 to 10, right? And because, as you said, a deep bias is that number. At least you try to insulate it from any real biases. And I think that's important to note. So yes. I, I love the way you said that. Okay, so keep going. Yeah, no, no, and, and you're dead on. You're absolutely right. Very important. Um, so we've got 0 to 10, and then the moneymaker question is, hey, Joe, where would you put that sure thing? Which we know is in between. And... So he thinks a little bit and then says about a, th a three. Um, and so then my first reaction is just to test. Does this sound right? So what you're saying to me is that if you're at the sure thing, it's about twice as good to go up to that thing being successful as it was to go down, right? Zero to three is three. Three to 10 is seven. That's yeah, it's slightly better than double the other one, right? So it's about, about a two to one ratio. And he says, yeah, that, that feels about right. I said, perfect. So um, what you can do with that is like, like this decision, it only hinges on a couple of things. One is what we just assessed. What are those outcomes? What are those potential outcomes and the relational difference between them? 
And the only other thing that matters is what's the likelihood mm-hmm. of success versus the likelihood of failure on that thing. Um, and just with some very simple math, like algebra math, you can solve and say, hey, if you were about a, a, all you would need to, to, of, a, of a percentage to, to how do I say this? The higher that percent of the good mm-hmm. thing going well, the more likely you'd be in on it, right? If it was like a 99%, you'd be like, that's a guarantee I'm going to go. As it goes down, you're a little more concerned. But at a two to one ratio of the of the outcome, good to bad, right? He just needed to clear about 40% of chance of success. And that was mm. his low end. Was I think when we figured it out, 40% meant a one and a half ratio. So he was already, he was already if he took his most conservative mm-hmm. estimate of the likelihood of this thing going well, the his outcomes, how he'd rank them, they already were telling him, right. you should go for it. Um, so then the only other thing to, to just sense out, and I think I'd already asked him this, was like, could you handle it Like if this went wrong? Um, if it went wrong, is it going to just destroy you? Because the math is totally insensitive yeah. to the human condition. It just says, hey, if I saw this decision over and over again, this is it's how like you should It's like the rational play, side. Right? Yeah, that, that's the- pure rational. And now you're asking about the pure- emotional... The, the emotional aspect of that decision. Yeah. Like, I mean, for example, when I used to work at, you know, big companies, you know, we'd make three, $500 million investment decisions and you, those aren't guaranteed to go well. There's some risk that they go bad. Um, and, but you look at some of them, you say, Oh, the company should mm. totally do this. Now would I do that with my <laughs> own money? Like, <laughs> right? No, because I can't afford a 500. I couldn't even afford to make a $500 million decision. But I certainly couldn't avoid uh, afford a five hundred million dollar yeah. loss, right? Where the company they they expect a few of those, and because they take that risk, they also expect more where it will succeed, and so they come out ahead, right? So there is some sort of it, like we've in the previous company that I worked at, we used to pull managers and directors and senior level folks as, as they would take our uh, internal decision science training, and what we found is that. The more senior that individuals were, the bigger budget that they were responsible for, the higher dollar amounts at which they would stay at this mathematical risk neutral thing where they were taking on the risk that they should, given the potential rewards that were there, the more junior that folks were, then the more worried that they were about their career path or their promotability or their bonus at the end of the year, those sorts of things. And they would start to get over conservative and concerned about but whether it's it, it, wrong. That does make sense though, right? I mean, let's, let, so let, let's, yeah. that's a B2B oh, yeah. example. We can even tie to B2C because if you don't, if you have not a lot of money, it's, it's hard to risk that, right? And t- that's kind of the same thing, right? If yes. you're a junior, you're kind of like thinking about your career path. That's a very, that's a parallel there. But if you have extra money, you can take extra risk. If you got big dollars in your budget, you'll take bigger risk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're starting out as an entrepreneur and you're, there, you know, there's some uh, branding thing that you could, you know, jump into or whatever. I mean, you might have to do the small version rather than the Cadillac because that's all the budget, so to speak. That's all the budget you have or that you could afford, right? You, all the budget that you could afford to lose. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, it, it makes a difference. So as long as Joe, I, need, I think earlier in the conversation, he'd already said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could do this for five or six years. And then if it failed, I'd jump out of it. And, and yeah, that would be disappointing. You know, it's, it's not a question of whether that's, you know, not desirable. Yeah, that's disappointing. But I could handle that. Like, we, we have enough in the bank. We, my wife works. Sure. We could come back from that. Um, and, and as long as that was the case, then we're like, hey, you're, you're past the threshold. And that's the cool thing in this decision science, I think, that a lot of people, and I've found this big companies, individuals across the board, we get tied around the axle and thinking that we have to have the exact right numbers. Let's go out and get more data, more research, more whatever. Um, and that's important. Like when you look back, you want to be able to account. You want to be able to look back at the exact numbers. How how much profit did we make? How good was it? And all those learn from the past. But decision making is a forward looking venture. You're always at the point you are now so, looking forward. Yeah. You're forgetting those sunk costs, as they call them, those previous decisions, yeah. whatever. Looking forward. 
you know, it only it only matters what what might happen. But that but that's future. interesting though. I mean, I'm kind of smiley here because I'm like, uh, dude, I'm loving this conversation. By the way, I'm loving this conversation. This is, <laughs> I'm just totally geeking out with you at this point because I got so many questions in my head. I'm like, stop! I want to ask you another question. Stop! I want to ask you another question. So, like for example, you talked about you know because timing is always an important part of decision making, right? You talked about the, uh, Joe who said, you know what, if this doesn't work, that's four or five years, you know sunk costs, experience learned. But if we're talking to somebody who's uh, towards their end of their career, you know, then that's another aspect of decision-making, right? Because now it's about how much runway do I have and can I afford to make that mistake? And so, so in, and then, and then, then you mentioned something else which was interesting, which is sunk costs. And you say, well, yeah, decision-making is a forward-thinking uh, exercise. I'm with you. The problem is, and you know this because memory memory is a biscuit. You know what I mean? It just keeps reminding you of all the stupid things you've done. So you, it's hard to take the emotion out sometimes when you're trying to look forward. So so the two questions there is one is, you know, when people have timelines, does that affect decision-making? I think that's obvious, yes. But you can correct me if I'm wrong. And then the other one is, how do you avoid, like you've screwed up things in the past, you want to make a decision going forward. How do you insulate yourself from your own memory, from your own past? Right. So let's answer both of them. I mean, yes, you're dead on. Timing does obviously affect decisions. Um, what I would say is that, uh, you know, the principles of decision science, like we were talking before, they give uh, guidance for structured thinking. Um, you kind of always follow, if you can, you kind of always follow the same process. Sometimes you have to condense it smaller and it's, you know, five, 15 minutes of sitting down, reflecting, getting clear on some things and then jumping in and going forward. Sometimes, like when we would work on big projects at, at, at the large companies, you know, it was four to six months of working with a team of individuals to get all the data collected, to do the analysis, to do all these various things. Um, so big, if you have the time, use it and use it well, right? And if you're crunched on time, you can still do a good, thoughtful process. Um, uh, you don't have to be hurried and, 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 and not do that. Um, so that's my time thing. Um, oh, you know, the other thing that, that I, I, th I thought you were going to say was, like, on the story with Joe... It's really important that you use the same time endpoints. Like his sure thing of staying in that job, you got to think through what that's like for the next five years. Oh, correct. Good point. Compare that with with you know taking the entrepreneurial thing that that he said he would give it you know four five six years sort of window. You got to compare against the same time windows. Otherwise, it's not apples to apples. Yeah, and that's really hard, isn't it? Because you know, in those five years, you know, it's hard to calculate opportunity costs. It is, and, yes. and that's that, that's the tough part because you're you're always guessing at that. And I would say five years is is longer than I would normally do, it, but it's what he he felt comfortable with, right? That was a time frame that that made sense to him. You know, a shorter time frame is usually a little better for individuals. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You got to take it. You got to take into account the opportunity cost. Dude, I I feel like I, I I'm getting away with murder here interviewing you because this is good <laughs> stuff. So no, okay. So so uh, keeping my audience in mind, I'm going to give you two scenarios. Okay, it, it, it's B to B. It's also B to C, right? But let's let's say this is totally hypothetical. It's like a thought experiment off the top of my head. Let's say that I'm a either small company, small business, or maybe even an entrepreneur. Right? We get approached with a lot of things every day. And one of the things I always get approached with, and I'm sure many entrepreneurs get, is let's say some marketing strategy X. There's a company who offers marketing strategy X. It could be social media, lead gen, whatever it may. Let's call it marketing strategy X. They approach you and say, they say, hey, <clears throat> here's what we can do for you, right? That's what's there. And it also works in a big company, right? Large agency comes to a corporation and says, hey, we can help you with marketing strategy X. Walk me through because obviously there's two different types of budgets we're dealing with here. Let's say the entrepreneur, I'm going to assume there's a tighter budget. And on the larger scale, you know, we could all say there's a tighter budget for a large scale, relatively speaking. But let's say they're a little more flexible. Walk me through both scenarios, how you would help me make a decision on whether I should buy into that service or not. Right. The first thing I would do is ask you a whole ton of questions about what you're, what you're going after. What, what you're trying to accomplish, you know, what is it? Um, is it maximizing the growth over the short term? Is this more of a long term play? What's the need that you're in the situation? Most people, um, like we, th there's a there's a thing in decision science called alternative focused thinking versus value focused thinking, 
and, and I'll explain those two terms. So like alternative focus is how most of the world operates. Um, it's how, it's how we're marketed at. We're told this is a juicy hamburger or these are amazingly comfortable shoes. Like we are marketed based on the attributes of the option or the alternative that are pitching us. Right. And so in the scenario you mentioned is especially when someone comes at you with the pitch, right. Um, then it is all about that thing, the widget, the alternative in this case that, 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 that they're, that they're giving to you. Um, and so, uh, when we, when we operate in that mindset, we tend to be much more narrowed in our thinking. The first step for decision science is to switch to what we call this value focused thinking. And that is to move away from what are the inherent attributes of the alternatives and to say, well, what is it that I'm seeking? Um, what is it that I want? So like, for example, if you were to buy a car, if you were to ask somebody, hey, here's this, you know, red Corvette, you know, and you're looking at it and somebody says, yeah, I need a red car. I really want a, a red vehicle. And you say to yourself, well, so red is really an attribute of that Corvette, of, of that of that option or that alternative. And you say, well, the question that I use to, to get at the difference between these um, attributes versus values is to say, well, what is it about a red car or in this case, red Corvette that's so important to you, right? And that simple question, what is it about X option that's so important or intriguing or enticing or attractive or whatever? I ask you that question. You say, well, Tyler, I just, I need a uh, sort of a, a muscle, macho, fast, that sort of a, like it needs to feel, look that way. And I say to myself, oh, so red is actually in your mind a surrogate for, for that value. Like maybe a bright orange or a bright yellow gets you in that same category, right? It's a muscle car. Um, and uh, it, maybe you like red better, you know, so you'd rank it a little higher. But the value there is that it needs to have a certain charisma to it, so to speak. Right? Um, so that's the first thing I would do is start to ask, well, what is it you're trying to do? Maybe this is the best option that you should be considering, but maybe there's a couple of, maybe there's another marketing package out there, or maybe there's a complete, maybe, maybe the money that you have could be used to um, acquire another small company, or there could be all sorts of alternatives or options that you should be putting on the table rather than just considering that one to start with. I, I, I like what you're, well, the, the red Corvette uh, analogy, because, you know, we always talk about, uh, you know, features and benefits, but we never really talk about the outcomes you're looking for, which I think is the value side, right? Yeah. I think the the alternative focus is, is like, because sometimes we get caught up in the bells and whistles, you know, and they say it can do all these things. But then I, I, if, if I hear you correctly, I would move to the value side. I said, but what values that could really provide? Yeah. You? What are the ones? What are the things that matter to you? Right. Right. And don't tell me about horsepower if I care about gas mm -hmm. mileage. Right. Uh, Correct. Whatever it might be. And, and so, so in this case, it's really about asking great questions to allow you to make a better decision. But what you've put in my head, which I think is really brilliant, uh, this was worth the conversation by itself, is I've never looked at it that way, is that this alternative focus is sometimes we get caught up into that because it's more emotional. It seems to me yeah. where the, the, the value is almost reflective. Yeah. Like, hey, do I need that? It takes, is that really it, takes, it takes a little bit of discipline to sort of press the pause button and say, well, what's mm -hmm. important to me here? Um, I'll, I'll give you a real quick example. Uh, and by the way, by the way, I want to highlight something you just said because it's, it's what you started out with. You said structured thinking and discipline. Yeah. And this is what you're talking about yeah. now. It's discipline at the same time. So there's structured thinking and discipline. I wanted to tie those two together because I thought it was a great phrase you used. No, no. and you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of us are less disciplined than we should be in a lot of areas in our lives. But in particular, research shows that people avoid making decisions. They'll pay money. They'll endure pain. They'll do a lot of things to have to avoid that mental, you know, gymnastics to be able to think through. So yeah, it does, it, it, it does take discipline. Um, yeah. You, you were going to give me an example. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember what it was. We've got, we've got, a, a, we've got a big family. We've got 10 kids at home. That's a big family. That's a big family. <laughs> um, so a uh, number of them are older. And we've got a number of teen excuse me, teenage drivers, and we needed to buy a third vehicle not too long ago. Hmm. And uh, so we're like, okay, what kind of vehicle do we need? And I, I <clears throat> opened my phone and I have, I downloaded the like 
auto trader app or something like that. And I get on the app and I look at the vehicles in our area and there are 33,000 plus vehicles mm-hmm. around Indianapolis. And so I was a huge set to start with. So then I start thinking myself and have a conversation with my wife, you know, what are we looking for? And this is back to that values sort of clarification. Like we hit the pause button, reflected for a little bit, said, what is it we looking for? And so we came up with four things. Like we had a parameter around price. We, we wanted this to be a, which is natural. Right? I think that's a really easy one. Sure. We had a budget. Um, but it was flexible. If, if we had a better car, we'd play, pay a little bit more, right? Or we'd, sure. we'd like to get it for a little bit less. But So we had a range. Um, and then we said, well, you know, a big part of what we're looking this for is for our kids to drive. They've, we had a daughter that went to an education program across town, soccer practices, various things. So we're like, gas mileage. Because we'll end up, that's what this vehicle is for, is for people driving all over the place. So, okay, so gas mileage was important to us. We said, um, you know, we want it to be a solid vehicle, like meaning not too many miles on it, but we don't want to pay, we, we not, it doesn't have to be like brand spanking new by any means. So we like, we had a mileage range and obviously that's interrelates with price a little bit. Um, right. And then the, the last thing, and this goes back to a good um, attribute versus value situation. So we've recognized over the years with our kids that, um, cloth seats in a vehicle absorb what kids spill food, liquid, all sorts of stuff, right? (laughs) I'm sure there are other parents out there who are like, yeah, it's nasty. You pull that car seat out and you look underneath it and you're like, ah, uh, by the way, I, I, I would like to talk to your wife on this podcast and say, what is it, what is it like to live with a decision-making scientist? Uh, I bet you I'd get a hell of a conversation. Oh, yeah. She, she tells me sometimes, hey, don't pull that work stuff on me. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, so we're like, hey, like we've realized cloth seats are better. Like we, we really like mm-hmm. leather seats. Not right. for like the luxury. I mean, they are a little more comfortable, the luxury. But for us, it's to clean up the spills. Um, uh, that's a huge difference. So the attribute there is leather seats, but the value that's behind it that matters to us is that, is that cleanup and, and then sort of the, you know, preventing that right. ongoing nastiness. So with those four things, like I figured out those four things we, I could plug into the app, even the leather mm-hmm. seats filter, right. And turn that down. And from 33,000 plus cars, mm-hmm. it dropped to 14. Really? Yeah. Because we plugged in like the highest miles per gallon. It was like 40 plus miles per gallon. The mileage, I think we were looking for like less than 100, but like, you know, 75,000 ish or something. We plugged in those amounts, dollar amount, our budget threshold, and it dropped to 14 cars. And then from those 14, I'd, we, you could easily look at them and say, okay, well, what is it about, you know, my kids didn't mm-hmm. like the body style of a Prius. They're like, dad, like, you know, whatever. So we didn't go with that. So we bought this Ford Fusion hybrid. Mm-hmm. And and we love it. Like it is, it is, it ticks all of our boxes. All of them. In fact, six months later, our second car died. We needed to get in a new second car. We went through the exact same decision-making process and bought another Ford Fusion. Yeah. And by the way, what I don't know, by the way, my, my, my wife actually was thinking about buying, she wants to buy a new car. I'm like, buy a used car. Yeah. I wish, can, can you talk to my wife, man? Cause it's like, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fine. I guess she wants a new car. She wants a brand. She wants that new car smell. I'm like, ah, oh, but it's such a waste of money. But anyway, but what I love about this simple example, it's a great example, by the way, because, you know, as you're, and I'm sure there were a couple of other things that were involved in this decision-making process, but it, it kind of highlights what you're talking about, that whether you're making a business decision or a, co- a consumer decision, but back to business is like a lot of people are always stuck because there's so many things to think about. But maybe it's what you're saying is, you, first of all, you got to shut down the noise and then just take yeah. a step back and say, what do I really value? What do I value and what do I want? Because too often there's too many bells and whistles. And have you seen, I don't know what you call this effect, they show you a bunch of stuff. And it's like Word document. If you ever think about using Word document, I mean, you use about maybe 10% of the features in Word document. Let's be honest. But yet people look at the whole pack and say, oh, I can use all this stuff. You know, how, you know what is that effect? Is there a, What's that called? And how do you help people solve and just focus on what's most important? Right. So I think, um, it, so the first thing, and it's a little bit tricky, a little bit nuanced. Like you need, mm. you need to be clear about what's important to you. But most, like I learned when I first started as a decision scientist, like that was, that was the, 
framework and that was the structure. And so I would ask people, well, like, what are, I would ask this really dumb question. It was, what are your values? And that is right. the worst way to find out someone's values. What, right. I, what I learned over the years is the best way is to take an option, an alternative that they already have, that they're intrigued in or already entertaining. Um, and like, for example, our other car, previous vehicles that we've owned, right? And say, what is it about that vehicle that you like? What a great approach. Dude, that is, that is like, it just hit me again. It's like, that is so simple and brilliant at the same time. Because if you ask somebody, what do you value? It's kind of this ethereal question, right? Almost like an existential question, like, you know, what is life? You know, sometimes like, and they'll say something to say something. But as soon as you point to an object, so to speak, and say, what is it about that alternative that you value? Then you get a totally different answer. Oh, I, I had a gentleman who um, I sat down with him. We were, I was looking at getting new health insurance when I left my corporate job. Hmm. And he sold health insurance. And uh, so anyway, long story there, we've actually had a little business partnership together where he helps people decide which health insurance option is right for them. And I helped give him some decision science things that would help to do that better. But hmm. one of them was just to just he has a good understanding of, of what is usually at play. But now he uses that question where he says, well, what is it like, what is it about this option that is so attractive to you or is intriguing or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever the adjective at the end that, you know, that makes sense for the conversation. Right. Um, and it's a way and, and I'll teach you like the other magical, simple, magical question is after somebody gives you that answer, um, you just you turn back with the question of. Well, what is it about you know that that is so important to you? Just go um, one level deeper. Yeah, just yeah. one level, and you want to get to this point where, um, and you can use that three, four levels, you know, whatever feels right. You get to a point where the, you ask that question, and the person pauses and they go silent, and and they said, "Well, it, it that's just what it is," mm -hmm. and that's when you know you have like that deepest, like that's that core value, yeah. right? Um, I love that. And, but then it's, and then it's a game to say, well, okay, well, how far back up or what, what sort of some, you know, cause that core value of like, uh, is usually squishier, right? right. It's, it's not super measurable. So you got to find something like, yeah. you know, we, we, we liked the clean car, but leather seats is what we went after. And, right? and by the way, you'll know, you know, I always call it go three questions deep. I always, always use my, yeah, my number. Yeah, I yeah. go three questions deep and you'll know when to stop. You know yes. what I mean? There's, there's a point where you're like, all right, come on. This is at absurd yeah. at this point. They can't keep going after that. And just say, okay, I got what I want or I got as much as I got from that person. Let's move on. Let's go back up to the surface yeah. and ask another question before we go deep again or something like that. But that's that, yeah. that, that right there is yeah. a brilliant question. I never looked at it that way. And I think that's that's pretty awesome. When, when you're talking to big companies, you know, uh, give me a recent example of a company who brought you in you know, frame the, frame the problem or, you know, they were trying to solve and then walk me through the process you helped them with. So first step is to understand the values like we were talking about. Right. Um, and I think the, the next step is to use those values. But wait, give me a title before you go. Give me an example. I mean, I guess I want a title so people can go, Oh, that's what he does. I really want people to appreciate what you do. And so I guess I want you to just kind of say, company X called me in because here's the situation. And then this is right. what I did. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah, no, okay, that's good. So I'd have to, like, I'll preface that a little bit with, like, what I do now is not that kind of consulting. Okay. Um, right? Because that's, in order to pay a decision scientist for their time, you've got to be, you got to have a budget where you're making, <laughs> like, in the millions or hundreds of millions right. of dollars decision. Um, so... I am rather than fishing for people, I'm in the business of teaching people how to fish. Gotcha. Okay. Because right? that you can learn and go forward. But like as a tangible example, like uh, when I used to work, I, so I used to work at Eli Lilly and Company, mm -hmm. big drug company. Um, and drugs are in the news these days, pandemic, uh, you know, vaccine research, all that kind of stuff. Um, running a clinical trial on an investigational drug is not a cheap thing to mm -hmm. do. Um it's uh, in the smaller stages, it's tens of millions. And in the later stages, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and so like there was an, I'll, I'll think of the biggest price tag decision that I worked on was a $750 million investment decision. And the option 
was on the options on the table when it very simple terms, when it came down to it was to do we run this one clinical trial before we know it's needed? Um, because when we go to submit our drug data package to the FDA, they might require that we have this and they might not. They typically, the history was they never had in that space mm -hmm. before, but a competitor had just gone in and applied with the data package, a competitor that was ahead of us. And that competitor was told, no, actually this time you need, you need this additional data. And it takes three, five years to run that additional mm -hmm. data. So they, you know, slipped back in, in the, in the, in the, order that, 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 these, that these drugs were coming to market. So now we had the opportunity to, to sort of be first, which was exciting. But the big question was, well, when we get there, are they going to require the same thing mm -hmm. of us? Is this like a new trend? I, I don't know. Um, and so I was brought in where they said, hey, look, we're a few years out right now. We have the time to start this additional trial if that's what we need to do. Um, the price tag is ginormous, but it's worth it if when we get there, they say that we mm -hmm. need it. Um, right. Um, but it's, so it's a huge, it, it, it kind of similar to the situation with Joe, right? It's like, well, we could move forward uncertain or we could launch it. But so for their situation, it was, uh, do we do this or do we not? We went down this process. We were first clarifying values. The next thing that we started to do was look at uncertainties. We started to look at, well, what do we know about, it seems weird when you're not in the pharmaceutical industry, but when you, you're, you're not given permission to just go talk with the FDA, you can't just take them right. out the coffee and have chat. There's these restricted meetings. And so we have to go back to like transcripts of an email and, and other things to be able to say, well, what are they saying here? And the FDA is in the, in the, in the business of not giving sure. clear guidance. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's not a good example because it's all convoluted, <laughs> but, 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 but I want to go back to what you've highlighted so far is that, you know, you're in the business of helping people or companies make decisions, right? Training them on how to make better decisions. True statement. Yes. And so you said that the first thing is the clarification of values. And then, but yes. you just said something interesting in that story is that then you have to talk about the uncertainties. Is, is, is that kind yeah, of the sequence absolutely. you follow first? Let's define values, the uncertainty. What, what does that involve? Like walk me through your process. Yeah. I mean, you know, to what you were saying before, I mean, the, the process isn't always the sure. exact mm -hmm. same order. It kind of shows up a little different right. depending on the context. But um, understanding the values, the values will typically, the values help do two things. They help slim down the number of options that go on the mm -hmm. table, um, so to speak, like which ones should mm -hmm. we be considering? And they also help you select from the ones that are left on the table, which one you prefer. Okay. And, I, and I love that. That's a simple, I can grab that. My simple brain can grab that. So yeah. if I clarify my values, as you said, with the car, your car example was so dead on. You went from 33,000 to what is it, 14 or whatever it was? Yeah. Because yeah, you clarified your your values slash attributes, whatever you wanted in the car, right? In there. And yeah. then from there, now I have a set, a smaller sample set. And then when you do a smaller sample set, now what's your process? Like, you know, when you would do, if you could deconstruct your searching for a used car uh, scenario. Yeah. So, yeah. So for the used car one, it was uh, with, so with those exact mm -hmm. 14, right? Then you can say, well, let me look at that exact one. And I think like, to be honest, I think there was like four or five mm -hmm. Priuses in that bucket. And when we looked at the Priuses compared to the other cars, my wife, my older kids, we all agreed. They just don't. Okay. So, cool. so then just let's like, kind of let's decision science this thing. So then there were categories of cars, right? So we could say yeah. there were Priuses, there were, I don't know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. We could, so right. we look at the Ford. So you, we, can you break? We just needed some way to differentiate them. And, and if you had asked me beforehand, I never would have said, well, I mean, I guess, do I want my car to look cool? Like reasonably, I'm not going to pay top dollar for that, but I mean, I don't want it to look right, right, right. dorky. And that's what, you know, we, I didn't necessarily put that on the table because it wasn't the most important thing. But when you see those exact hmm. alternatives, those exact 14 cars, that was one way to, 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 to you know, to shift them out. Um, and that's essentially what it was like, given these 14, given what was mm -hmm. left on the table, right? Forgetting the other 32,900, whatever it was, given these 14, what helps us to differentiate right. between these 14? Um, and, and that's what we did. I, I forget, there's one or two simple things, but like it, it became so clear between them. Um, I'll tell you actually the example that you gave of, what was the one that you said of your wife a second ago? Yeah, we're trying, uh, new car versus used car. car. And I'm like, give me a new car. Yeah. She's like, so, I don't. Sometimes, sometimes it just comes down to a simple trade-off. Like I wanna say that between some of the vehicles, like we narrowed it down to three, like pretty, pretty quick from the 14. 
And then, and they were all, I think they were all mm-hmm. Ford Fusions. Some of them were a lower price, but uh Okay, but so pause mileage. right there. So when you got to the Ford Fusion, it's like a deconstructed car buy. This is really good. The what, but <laughs> If Ford gets a bump in their sales off of this, right, then but, you and I should but, be able but to look in there, I'm sure you looked at the, uh, like, I don't know, the maintenance records or, you know, maintenance quality and looked at some of the ratings on Edmunds or something like that. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, and, and, and that is another way of saying, do these things belong on the table, right? What you're describing there is like more, I would call them filters to know whether those options belong on the table, right? I mean, we do that all the time. You search, search online, you go to Amazon, any other website, right? All product websites these days have these filters. You can turn them on and off mm. and get a narrow, the, the job of them is to get a narrower and narrower set of things to, to, to choose from. Um, and if you're good at understanding your values and translating your values into mm-hmm. like leather seats from wanting to easy cleanup mm-hmm. to leather seats, right? Then you'll have a much easier time getting a smaller set of options on the table. I love it. All right. So now, so I, by the way, I, I, the, by the way, here's what I'm pulling from you because you know too much. That's your problem. You know too much. And so I'm trying to simplify it so when people listen to it, they go, oh, I get the model. So first of all, I clarify my values, which is going to help me thin my options, your words, right? You're, and you're going to select your preferences and your data set's going to be reduced. Then you apply your filters is what you're telling me at this point. You apply what filters you value, which is kind of saying the same thing, but you start applying yeah. some filters. So now, we're down to Ford yeah, Fusion. We're down to how many cars? Three, three cars. cars. And, and it was, cars. for us, it was a simple, there's, there wasn't any uncertainty in this decision. Like when we showed up to buy that Ford Fusion, like we knew what we were getting, right? Um, right. How long it lasts before it, you know, dies. Some of those uncertainties are there, but they're the exact same for every vehicle. Like, I, you know, so, mm-hmm. so you can throw, it, they don't help us distinguish between the alternatives. So we, we throw the, and right. we don't get overwhelmed by that. That's, I mean, that's a great thing that people sometimes like, ah, I don't know how, but if it's the same for every alternative you're facing, then just set it aside. Right. Um, yeah. At that point, because I, I love the way you just said it, because at that point, it becomes a very easier, it's much easier yes. decision. Yeah. Because it's now it's just, now it's just an emotional appeal at this point. Right. Do I like the blue one? Do I like the yeah. yellow one? Yeah, you know, at this point. For us, we, we took a, a, the, the big trade off for us. So then it comes down to, in this situation for us, it came down to a, a trade off decision. Do we pay for the higher priced vehicle because it's got less mileage or do we take mm-hmm. a, you know, an older vehicle with a little bit more mileage for a lower price? Uh, it became the, the dollar yeah. mileage thing. Yeah. And, fi- and striking right. the right balance. Uh, I love and and I like love that's that. why I was thinking of like your wife. You said, oh, she wants that brand new car. Well, like to me, the first, you know, they say you drive it off the lot and you lose, you know, whatever it is, 20, 30. 20%. 20%. Yeah, yeah. And so to me, like there, I don't have any value in that first, that first 20% of the vehicle. I could care. I'll, I'll take a car that's, you know, 5,000 miles, 10,000 easily. Yeah, yeah. Me, I'm with you, Matt. What you lose in that moment I, is not any loss to me. Now, maybe to your wife, that's a really big deal. We could disagree about whether it should be or shouldn't, but to her... Yeah, her, her, by the way, I, just out of curiosity, this is interesting. For her, it's always uncertainty of how the first... Let's just say it has 5,000 mm-hmm. and how that car was treated the first 5,000 miles. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like... Man, it can't be that bad. I mean, nobody's going to be that abusive in a car. That's a different value. Yeah, test drives or, or whatever. Yeah, but no, yeah. that's good. And, and I think like that uncertainty. So for her, that uncertainty was a big deal. For me, I wipe that away and say, oh, it's, it's not a deal for me. So for her, uncertainty yeah. shows up. Well, then it's back to like the situation with Joe that we were talking about at the beginning. You have this uncertain uncertain option. You have to be able to assess what's the better outcome, what's the worst outcome, and what's the likelihood of getting it. And mm-hmm. and what happens to a lot of people, your wife could be in this bucket, maybe she's not, is we see uncertain and we start freaking out and we take the most conservative route. And so in the case of a vehicle, you pay a huge premium to wipe away that uncertainty about you know what happens. Yes, that's exactly what's happened. Thank you for analyzing our situation. I'll show my wife. I'll show my wife this recording after we're done. I didn't intend to be talking cars the entire time. I mean, obviously. No, but you're, by the way, you're, the thing is, you're not talking cars. That's though. true. That's, that's, the, that's the fascinating part is that you're not talking cars. You're talking about how people make 
everything is a decision. And I think buying a car is something that everybody goes, oh, that's what he does. And as you relate it to business or trying to grow your business, it's you help people. If I, if I, if I get you right, you help people go through that decision-making process because one, figuring out what the value system is and what it really means to them is important too. As you narrow your options down or how you want to grow or scale your business, you know, we got to look at uncertainty, but we got to weigh that against, you know, certain filters that you're going to apply to see what options are really available to yeah. us. And I, is, is that, I'm, I'm trying to summarize what you do, but you, that's the car, the car example I think is fantastic because it applies directly to complicated business decisions. Yeah. When it comes down to it, if, if like we were to relate all of this discussion to like a, a, a sales discussion, right? The, um, you know, the first misjudgment that people make of me and what I do, if I meet them, like I used to travel before the pandemic, I used to travel a fair amount, have a chat with every Uber driver that gives me a ride to or from the airport. Right. And when I mentioned that I'm a decision scientist, like I could give you the, the most common responses. The most common one is like, oh, is that a, like, is that a real job? That doesn't make, you know, <laughs> that sounds made up. Right. But the next one is that they say. Oh man, uh, you know, I could have used you the other night and they start giving me some instance where I could have made a decision for him. And, and that's not what I've ever done. That's not what a real, a decision scientist helps you to make your decision, right. Or teaches you a process that you can choose yourself. Um, and so when you like this, it exists in these big companies where they have people that are paid. I wasn't paid to make the choice. It was the executives making those investment decisions. But you were you were paid to clarify why they were making their I was choices. yes, I was paid to bring in a thoughtful structure as we talk about disciplined process and then bring that in front of a group of people who owned the purse strings, who could mm-hmm. say, I follow the logic, they'd ask their questions, we'd lay it all out and they'd say, Yes, we agree, or we see it slightly differently, like your wife, for example, you know, we might recommend yep. this and they'd say, Oh, that trade off isn't worth it to us, we'll go the other way. Well, that's fine. It's their choice. It's their money. They're 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 making yeah. the decision, and they would do it. And like in a corporate in the corporate world, we break decisions up into different roles. And someone can be a decision facilitator, and someone is a decision mm-hmm. maker. And then you have the experts who bring in who come in with their you know expertise about how likely certain scenarios are. And you got to wrap all that together. In in a in a personal context, we tend to wear all those hats at the same time. Mm-hmm. And in a sales context, I think the thing is, like you can, as a salesperson or business owner, entrepreneur who you know does negotiation and sales, like you can wear that hat, decision facilitator, whether the other person knows it or not. You can communicate in a way. You can lead them down a thoughtful process that will help them to ease their decision burden, and they can make that purchase decision with you um, easier. Uh, and, and whether they, and if they know it and they're willing to participate, like I mentioned the health insurance guy who I worked with, like he was great. Like he said, look, here are all the options. Tell me more. He was asking questions about us to help us fit into the right one. And in in that world, it's all the better. Like where it's clear that, Hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not pitching you my product. I'm trying to help you make a a decision about which way you go. And if that ends up being the thing that I'm selling, then, then great, but I'm not twisting your arm. You, you've made that choice based on your values, your judgments. And, and that's really the secret. Dude, I love that. That's so well said. I'm going to take that clip right there and repost that clip. That was, per- that was be- well said because <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to sell clients. We want to clarify their thinking. Yeah. That's all we're doing. And, and then let them make the obvious decision. I think those are the best salespeople who can do that. Ask the right questions, clarify their values in your phrase, and say, why is that important? You know, using those questions and let them come to their own. Nobody wants to be pushed into buying something. Right. And I think you've pointed out, you've highlighted very well, is that, you know, by asking questions, you, you're you not selling them. You're helping them clarify what they want. Yes. And that I think tied to that, tell me if you agree, is that by understanding their own values, like really understanding them because of your questioning process, they, they develop during that process a certain level of confidence in what they want. And that's what pushes them over the line to make a decision. Yeah. Absolutely. The insurance friend that I have, mm-hmm. I talked with him and was asking him about his uh, prospects, his leads and why, what was the number one reason why they didn't go forward with it? Um, particularly, I said, because he said, you know, Tyler, I get in these situations. His name's Matt. He said, I get in these situations all the time where I'm meeting with somebody. It is so painfully clear to me that this is the right solution to them, regardless of the fact that I'm selling it. Like, 
and he's really good. If it's not the right situation, he doesn't sell it to him. He's like, you don't want this. You don't want this. So he's really good about that. He said, but like, I wish there was times I could put, because I know down the road, something's going to happen and they're going to be in a worse off situation if they go with what, with what they were sticking with. And so I, so I had a conversation with him. I was like, well, why do you think that is? Tell me about what's happening there. And we talked all through it. A number one reason is as he kind of put it together was that people were unfamiliar with the option that he was putting forward to them. It was new and it was different. Um, and so, you know, we're like, okay, well, when we go, th- when we build the structured decision process for him, um, a lot of it was centered on helping people to understand what the alternatives were and how the, you like, uh, health is, health needs are uncertain. I don't know if I'm going to need to go to see the doctor. I don't know if I'm going right. to break my arm. I'm going to the right. So there's a huge bit of uncertainty there and how that plays into these different health insurance products. Um, and that he's and, and that he said to me, he said that's one of the been the biggest things is I get more people jumping in on the sale by going through the structured approach because they are more clear about what the thing is and why that thing is important to them. Um, yeah, I'm not I love that. their arm any harder. I'm not pitching them any more vigorously. I'm just helping them to understand better. Yeah, I mean it's it's sounds like a Doctor Seuss. What the thing is, what the thing does, why it's important. <laughs> Dude, I think we've covered it all today, man. Uh, hey, Tyler, let them know, my, my, my audience here, let them know where they can find more information on you, man. Yeah, in particular related to sales stuff, if the URL decision-based sales uh, will lead you to an opportunity to learn a little bit more about this kind of stuff. Decisionbasedsales.com? Yeah, I'm sorry, decisionbasedsales.com. Yep. Hey, by the way, have you written a book yet? Have I written a book yet? No. And I, you know, Why, man? Come on, Tyler. <laughs> Am I shortchanging? No, I, I, have, I have thought about it for years. And I'll, the honest truth is we just started putting together a regular blog. And the intent is to document simple, small, everyday type decisions and how they relate to little pieces and little nuggets of decision science. Mm-hmm. And my intention is after we collect, you know, months of those that we go back and turn that into some sort of book. All right. Collect, collect, I don't know, I'm going to say 35 and then write your book. Okay. Do 35, write your book, man. I, I think the, uh, I'm discovering people don't like long books. So you can put it in the 150, 150. So I think a short book, but I would love to read like, for example, and I know we're joking about the car and your car decision-making process, but believe it or not, there's so much science in there. That you could just really, if you suss that out, people go, oh, man, I, didn't, I never thought about that way. And as, as you say, everyday life decisions could be in those blogs, man, that I would love to read. I would love to read your perspective on that. So on that note, this is Victor <laughs> Antonio with my man, Tyler Ladlow. Leave me some feedback. And if you haven't checked out the Sales Velocity Academy, do so, salesvelocityacademy.com. On that note, this is Victor Antonio, always reminding you, sell it ain't hard when you make the right decisions and you know how. Take care.